0: The South Carolina (laughs) is is, is, talking to us. Brian and I are here at the Columbia office, and Luke had to go down um, to Charleston. It looks like he's having a horrible time at the Charleston office. Um, But we want to talk to everyone today about the Gilgo beach or yeah, Gilgo Beach Killer Rex Huberman. Um, we've got a lot to talk about with that. Is
1: that how you, we pronounce his name? I believe that's how you pronounce it. Gonna, I've heard it a few times. i was going to butcher that.
0: Yeah, Hewerman. Huerman. We'll just call him Rex. We'll move along. We actually got a good question right out of the gate really? um, that I think you all will appreciate. Why do the mother and the children have lawyers if they were already, I guess, ruled out of the circle of suspicion? Uh, why is it good to lawyer up before you chat with any law enforcement?
1: Luke, you wanna take this? And
2: you mean his- As it, Well, as it pertains to this case, uh, anytime there's an indictment or any kind of public charging document that talks about her hair on a dead body it's good time to lawyer up. (laughs) it's just to protect yourself i mean they're going to want to know did she know anything how could she not know all this going on for so many years um and at the very best you willfully ignore something that was right in front of you and you could get charged um for not reporting a crime at worst you're somehow an accomplice and it's just a good, a good idea to have a lawyer for any of those immediate family members that might even get um, scrutinized or interrogated. So, and I think just looking at some of the charging documents, they've got the wife squirrely out of the country when this occurs, and we could talk about that, but you still don't wanna incriminate yourself because they're gonna be digging on this case to figure out what you knew. And sometimes you might go in there and, and have a lot of helpful things to describe, let's say, Rex's behavior as you're planning to go out of the country for a few days. Is he, is he doing something that could seem suspicious, like he was really excited and planning something, <laughs> uh, buying bulk duct tape and things of that nature. And you could be a very important witness against him, but the same, in the same vein, you don't wanna cross the line and get in the crosshairs of the prosecutor. So everybody needs lawyers all the time, anytime.
1: It's a standard playbook on a serious charge to, you know, squeeze the family, you know, let them know you could be accessory to all this. You could be obstructing justice unless you tell us everything, anything. And that basically usually um, opens up family members to want to lawyer up and then do everything they can to get their their name and potentially their, um, you know, a charge from coming. So they just want to cooperate fully. I mean, uh, his wife has filed for divorce pretty much immediately. Um, it's kind of interesting in terms of marital privilege and that kind of stuff, but she's just trying to totally, um, remove herself from his, his backing. So that's, that's what's going on.
0: And we'll kind of circle back to her. I see you have some follow up questions too about that. Um, we will dive more into kind of the family and what's going on with that. Probably when we discuss um, everything that they found in the home, um, but we're gonna start off just kind of from the get-go of the start of all of this with the DNA evidence that, I mean, and she ties into that too, but the DNA evidence that linked Rex to the killings, which then led to the arrest. That's how it yeah, so But gonna, great questions.
1: So we're gonna be talking about hairs, both Rex's hair, and his wife's hair. Um, and Luke, since I put you in charge of reading the bail application, which is you know a thorough document uh, regarding probable cause for the charge, what they have and, and the state's request for no bail, um, gives us a lot of factual information. This case is brand new. Luke, do you wanna um, talk a little bit about the DNA and, and kind of the state's perspective on it and then we can maybe respond a little bit with the defense's thought on it?
2: Right. Well, it looks like, um, obviously, once they discovered these bodies kind of by happenstance with a canine training dog, of course, you're going to exhume them. You're going to try to preserve it as best as you can. And they did find various hairs that they, that they thought were of evidentiary value. And turns out they were. And but they don't have anything to compare it against. But they are their research is, you know, combing through cell phone records, figuring out who these women are connecting with burner phones and matching cars and things like that. I don't want to cover something we're going to cover later, but eventually they had him definitely as a target. So once he is a target, obviously they can do trash pulls. And so they did trash pulls as we've seen in other cases, And found some hair or some DNA um, associated with some bottles. That's what they did. Yeah, and you're looking at like mitochondrial DNA uh, as the source. It's not touch DNA. It's not blood. You know, it's in hair, or they can analyze the hair and get down to the mitochondrial level and get a pretty good DNA sample. And basically, when they compare some hair on two of the women, specifically. Uh, to the trash poll, it's a it's female in variety, and it's got very kind of specific language that's targeting. You know, they say it it matches a certain type of profile. KLC um, two haplo group. But long story short is. Ninety-nine point ninety-eight percent of the American population uh, was excluded from two of the hairs, uh, but but the wife could not be. So it's a pretty good uh, statistical concept that two hairs on two bodies of these women belong to wife. And so then the question is, why is wife involved? Is she helping bury bodies? You know, because you also read. Um, and other documents that they pegged her as being out of town on out of state or out of country trips during these. And so I think there's some pretty logical explanations for that. Um, and then, really damning for him, is once they had him in his radar, they um, grabbed a pizza box out of a trash can and collected a DNA sample and compared it against another hair, hair that is male. And again, has the st- same kind of statistical strength, where 99% of the rest of the North American population, 99.96 is excluded, but he cannot be. And that came from a pizza box sample. And of course, now they're going to have to go essentially get a, use that as probable cause to get a clean version in court and through the process of a Schmerber hearing, which I think they might be doing currently. <clears throat> but that... That is how they got the samples to compare against, and that is pretty strong, um, unfortunately, for hair on a body.
1: Right, and unlike some other cases we've profiled, like the Coburger case, where it was a real clean crime scene and there's not evidence on any of the victims, here we've got you know, burlap sacks, we've got you know, a family full of hairs, wife and husband, um, that maybe, you know, we got transferred evidence. Um, You know, maybe, you know, duct tape is amazing. It helps bind things and also will bring with it anything it touches from a house, from a car. Um, And that's an easy way to assist in having a really messy crime scene. Luke, we could talk more about the challenges that the defense are gonna have with the DNA, but, you know, one of the, you know, you know, just to kind of back up a little bit, I mean, basically, a lot of these victims were sex workers, Craigslist ad, um, you know, advertisements where, you know, people would reach out to them and they would schedule these arrangements to meet for the purposes of sex, and so it seems like, you know, at least, Three or four of these women that he's been charged with definitely fit that category, and presumably a lot of these, a lot of the other women that of, of these bodies. I mean, this is all in the context, and I think Hannah mentioned this when I mean, they're referring to this guy Rex as the the Gilgo Beach murderer. But there's a whole Long Island uh, serial killer kind of aspect to this, where they're, they're linking. You know, law enforcement has come out over many, many years and saying, well. And this sounds kind of um, terrible to say, but we think there could be three different serial killers dumping bodies out here. We can't necessarily say that this is one person. Um, But but
0: they all seem connected like a ring where they're all somewhat working together.
1: Right. Um, And so that's kind of the premise under which law enforcement were investigating you know, a couple of different DA's that, you know, the elected prosecutors are coming through this area and the latest one kind of set up a task force and, you know, uh, forensic science has evolved since these killings and so they've got evidence that's suitable to be tested against. Um, whereas maybe they have as good DNA testing before, but I, you know, they kind of start with basic police work and one of these women initially, um, have an interaction with a guy that, you know, they want to link to Rex, but they get a couple things that are helpful to law enforcement. They get a, a description of the individual. And so one of these women, um, that I think ultimately was killed, um, she initially, I guess her boyfriend or someone uh, posing as a boyfriend, I guess didn't feel comfortable, kind of came out and scared away the would-be John. Um, and Basically, that guy that you know he left the home and then was you know reconnecting with her. This was
0: all while, so she's a sex worker, and this was all while mm-hmm. during um, like meeting up with a, a client. And so she was actually known for kind of stealing more money mm-hmm. from her clients by doing this, where her boyfriend or whoever you know she, partner that she would work with would come in be very hostile, kind of violent, like an angry boyfriend, come in, scare the man off, and then I think they would kind of right. kind but, of act that way. So she eventually
1: gets killed, but what law enforcement back then investigated was essentially there's a witness that talks about an avalanche truck, and they give a description of that. So that's one piece of evidence they have concerning a person that showed up initially. And then this guy that was probably shaking down the john I think law enforcement would say is Rex. Mm -hmm. Um pronounce his last name again for me. Huerman. Rex Huerman. Huerman. Did Um, you hear
0: how he describes him?
1: Uh as a big old burly cat. Yeah, but he
0: specifically at one point refers to him as an ogre. Yeah. Which looking I mean, well, (laughs) maybe that's weird, but um that fits. Like I see, we're looking
1: at a photo of him right now. So six six foot four, large, heavy said dough, no, bushy hair, mm-hmm. um, and some roundish glasses um, for what this witness, so that, that's what law enforcement has, right? They've got women that are dying, they're sex workers in the area, um, and they've got basically a vehicle description, and they have a witness, ID conscription. Kind of so it's kind of similar to Koberger in terms of initial information. Um, and that's what they're working with. Now the backdrop for Rex Huerman is that he is a successful architect with his own firm in Mid- Midtown Manhattan. Um, he apparently has resources. I imagine these resources are being frozen as we speak, if not already. Um, he's got various properties in Las Vegas. He's got undeveloped property in South Carolina. Mm. Interestingly enough, you know, basically everything comes back to South Carolina. Sure you know, does. Uh, we are, uh, what's the saying, Luke? We're, uh...
0: While I breathe, I hope.
1: No, it's oh. uh, we're too uh, big to be an insane asylum and too little to be, what is it? I mean, it's like everything crazy, every terrible headline comes back somehow related to South Carolina. Like, six six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, The bottom line is he's connected and, you know, law enforcement for a long time was dealing with the avalanche trunk and the witness ID. So that kind of brings them back to this task force and looking at, um, you know, they have these burner phone numbers. That's the other thing that law enforcement has to look at. They've got numbers that are kind of like the last number that was communicating with these victims. And there's a pattern of these burner f- phones being used. So they do have a telephone number. They've got some information. They're pulling off these numbers. These numbers are being then used And at least a couple of these victims, like actual the killing, they're being used to call the victim's number to check its voicemail. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess to, there's interest about who's trying
2: to That's call. Taunt. What was that Lou? The allegations also that the burner, well, the victim's own phones were called to taunt family members. That's kind of a right. nasty little detail.
0: Right. Now, I think after every, maybe up until recently, he kind of got sloppy, but in the beginning, um, these burners would almost be specifically used for one victim every time. And then the, he would you know, drive the phone back to his home and, you know, maybe do the taunting or check the voicemail or figure out, you know, who maybe knew about him and then ditch that phone and then get a new phone for the next victim.
1: Right. And so law enforcement has a physical description of an ogre. Uh, basically they've got a witness side, uh, uh, avalanche truck, and they've got these cell phones that are being triangulated for midtown, town Manhattan, which happens to be, you know, where his sperm has been, he's been practicing out of for all these years. So, Luke, in your mind, does that get you probable cause to then get a search warrant to then go grab, you know, well, technically they did trash pulls, they did trash pulls of, of water bottles coming out of the person's home. You know, that's your cartilage, that's stuff that maybe is not subject to search warrants. And then they grabbed a pizza box that was discarded. So, you know, they're, they've definitely taken their time and narrowed it in on this guy. And he's been described, of course, when these charges come out, everyone that ever knew him is being interviewed. And he's been described a couple different ways as he's lived in this neighborhood where he lives with his wife and children for like 20 something years. and. Neighbors are describing him in a couple of different ways. as both quiet and like has not had any imprint on our neighborhood at all. Like he's a, he's just not even a thought. He's also described his neighbors as a nasty kind of guy and like, you know, Halloween time, everyone knows not to you know, treat a tree Oh no, why?
0: Because he goes too far?
1: Because he tells them, he's told them over the years, don't come here.
0: Oh, like he doesn't pass out candy.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> they interviewed, uh, Middle school, elementary school classmates of his. One woman described him as kind of shy and a little bit awkward, but she would say he would put like little note, love notes in his locker. Um, he's been described in a professional setting as arrogant and very, you know, with his architecture profession as unique, kind of like an attitude and mentality of you should be lucky to even be talking to me which is interesting. We get into that you know, profiling of, you know, what makes a serial killer kind of thing. You know, like in Coburger when he was, you know, maybe a lot of people kind of harped on the fact that he was talking his way out of that initial encounter with um, on the speeding ticket situation. He was trying to explain to the officer, that, you know, about the law, the traffic laws and everything like that. So.
0: And forgive me if I'm getting kind of ahead and we may touch on this more later but to kind of speak to that personality on a lot of these burner phones one in particular there were a lot of searches that Rex um, would search like Long Island serial killer what do they know about the serial killer how many serial killers are still at large today What evidence do they have? So he was almost fascinated with, you know, this is given if, you know, if he's convicted and found guilty of all this, which, you know. But he's almost fascinated with his own, um, own activity and behavior in a sense. And once he was arrested, one of the first questions he asked someone was if this was, if this had made the news yet.
1: It's time to, as we say on our Friday reel... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah we've got a guy that's using burner phones exclusively he's taunting victims family members he's been described as creepy and arrogant but also quiet family man who no, who made no imprint at all um, you know one thing that I found interesting and in just some of the coverage there's so many potential victims I mean, yes he's been charged with you know based on DNA evidence on these particular murder victims but um, I mean for instance here's Shannon Gilbert as well I find this interesting you know she's a disappeared sex worker mm-hmm. she placed in um you know, she's a, Gil- a Gilgo Beach one is she one of our list of victims has actually been charged
0: yeah not one that's been charged she hasn't been connected with Rex yet but she was kind of one of the very first um, They kind of got this whole snowball rolling, um, and she left like a chilling, like 23 minute police phone call. Well,
1: that's what I want to talk about because, you know, she's calling 911 and she's getting a weird vibe from this guy
0: mm-hmm. and
1: she's calling 911 saying, someone's after me and she can heard, be heard on the 911 call asking a guy that she refers to as Mike and she's saying, asking him, are you going to kill me? And then she's later talking to 911 saying these people are plotting to kill me. So she uses the plural form there, mm-hmm. which I noted because that's pretty specific. I mean, these people are trying to kill me versus like an individual in a truck or something. Right. So that's interesting to me. Um, it stands out a little bit. Um, you know, the profile seems like most serial killers tend to work alone. Uh, but it's interesting that she's referencing these people. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Definitely seems as though
1: it's Do you want to talk more about that, what your your thoughts are?
0: Um, Well, just the nature in which, I mean, that phone call specifically, but then also I feel like this is just a pattern with, um, unfortunately, pedophiles like this. They seem to kind of all be connected and work in a group. Obviously, this is one of the more um, like publicized, but just from in my own experience working as a school counselor, unfortunately, I had a situation where um, we had to deal with this situation, and it wasn't just one individual. it was a group um, that kind of acted all together.
1: You know, we got at this point, 10 or 11 different bodies. Um, so we've got eight women, we've got one man, and then even a toddler who was a child of one of the women that was killed. Um, but back to Miss Gilbert, you know, when they found her body, they initially ruled it as a drowning. And then for the South Carolina folks listening, much like the Stephen Smith case, where they initially ruled it non-homicide, the family um, hired a private, basically um, independent autopsy, and it came back as a strangulation. And that kind of spurred spurred on the this whole investigation, and you know the, the desire to find out who's doing this. And I will just say from this reporting, um, this is an independent. Um, Authorities over the years have basically said that they believe that there are 3 separate serial killers that could be involved in this. So, you know, going back to the, these people are applying to kill me, I mean, it seems pretty sensational, but there's also a lot of bodies and there's speculation that it could be up to 50 missing people. Um, so that's kind of crazy. Luke,
2: what what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be looking very hard at any potential female sex worker who went missing pretty much from earlier all, all the way up to current time. And the first thing they're going to do is figure out, based on cell records, who's the last person they talked to. And that's what they do in any case. But, you know, someone like a Rex or a civil care killer, if he in fact is, and a lot of the evidence is pretty damning for him you're gonna target, target a victim that no one cares about. Someone that is down their luck, is a throwaway type person. And if you happen to be desperate enough to maybe be a sex worker, that might be a good odd. And they're also the type of people that would go meet a stranger because that's kind of the nature of your job. Whereas it'd be pretty hard to get people who aren't sex workers maybe to meet a stranger. Um, but I think they're gonna be looking at the phone records of these women um, anybody that went missing, look at the phone records. And if they've now through their search warrants have a very long list of kind of burner phones and fake fictitious email addresses and on social media platforms that go along with some of these fake numbers, if they can find the link, then they're going to probably start making those connections. The only thing they don't have is a body. I mean, the bodies are what were fortuitously discovered due to the canine dog. But, you know, if you're a serial killer who's killing multiple times a year to get your fix, you're gonna have to start figuring out other places to find bodies and, you know, I don't know how they find that. They don't necessarily need a body, but they do need more than just perhaps a phone number that was linked to one of his fictitious accounts because maybe he had sex with her and it didn't work out and he never killed her and she moved to Ontario. I mean, so it's, they have to get get across the line there. But I think, you know, we're no psychology experts, but, you know, Brian and I deal with some folks who would be considered psychopaths in our criminal line and Hannah's got a counseling background, but, you know, there's a definite need to get your fix and almost be found sometimes, you know, be, be proud, get, get discovered, you know, what's the notoriety. Um, on the one hand, you don't want to get caught, but you also kind of want to really cross the line and, and be interested in who's looking. So I think that explains a lot of his comments and his searches and things of that nature, but I I expect to be many, many, many more bodies. Um, and I was looking and, and so they don't have the death penalty in New York. Um, which I'm an anti-death penalty kind of guy. So that suits me quite well. But when you are looking at bringing closure, sometimes they'll say, well, look, lawyer and Rex, we we like you for about 50 bodies. and We can only find 20. If you tell us where the other bodies are, we'll take death off the table maybe. And that's happened in some other cases. So they don't really have that kind of leverage here. Um, but it's just, it's interesting. But I think, This kind of fits a pattern, unfortunately, of easy targets and what they'll be able to prove will be based on cell phone. I don't think a guy like Rex is ever going to give any statements. You're not going to have any confessions. You're not going to have, he's going to be trying to cover his tracks very well. He just, you know, didn't cover them well enough, at least for probable cause purposes, but
1: yeah. And we could talk to a psychologist about it, but like, you know, I guess the profile that we discuss here is occasionally on our podcast of, of a an accused serial killer. You know, you do it for the thrill, you do it for the gratification. But over time, if you keep killing, you got to keep, you know, feeding that gratification. And then with the, you know, in this in this kind of case, the taunting of the victims' families and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm got to be more like playing with fire which gives you a thrill. I mean every time you use a phone it, it it provides potential evidence for law enforcement. I mean these search terms on these burner phones. You know, why would law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? That's a search term that he's alleged to have typed in. Why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught? And then, uh, I like this one a lot as he's using a phone. New phone technology may be key to break the case. Um, Yeah, really? Sure. Uh, So, and and apparently he was, I mean, one of his burner phones is being used like to date, like before he was arrested, is being used to call people, continue a lot of stuff. It's linked to one of his Tinder accounts. So, and, and you know what, now they're in his house and we'll talk about the house is going to provide fodder for much, much further investigations. I and mean, there's, we talk about potential trophies and that kind of thing. We're, we're going to talk about what they're doing at his house in a, in a little bit different bullet point here, but you know, the thrill seeker, serial killers, you know, They like to be reminded of their triumphs. They like to seek gratification where they can get it. And so- And
0: it probably doesn't help that like platforms like Netflix have like multiple different series about serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer. And they even have, I think the Long Island serial killer. There's like a show for that. Um, just kind of, sen- I mean, it's almost like sensationalizing it all.
1: So he's probably been Netflixing and chilling on totally. on this documentary. I mean, totally. I mean, obviously he's presumed innocent and there's a whole bunch to be done in this case. It's just getting started, but hmm. in terms of his search terms, he's very much interested in this case. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got the witness ID, we've got the truck, we've got the burner phone triangulation kind of putting him in a, in a location that matches both his work environment and where he lives from time to time associated with a number of these victims. And then they go ahead and do these, you know, set up a task, set up a task force, get your DNA off a curtilage type trash bowl And then it's just like a Jason Bourne movie or something. They're going to watch him eat a slice at a, The local pizzeria and they're going to go grab it off of a table before it's cleaned up. I mean, that kind of stuff. So like, I mean, he was definitely uh, a major suspect for a long time. And so this DA is ready to put him away and drop the hammer. Um, So we talked about internet searches. Uh, Let's talk about the search warrant.
0: There are a few other certain search, internet searches that I think, well... What else? What else we got? Yeah.
1: I mean, he's got tons of...
0: There's some very graphic, very tri- triggering, not appropriate for this TikTok searches, um, very explicit, but there's one in particular that I think is worth noting, and you can kind of Google that if that's something you're interested in, I do warn you that it is very intense, it's a hard read. Um, but he used this one burner friend specifically to kind of do searches, and um, one of the searches um, is specifically about an Asian male um, dressed as a female. The term is "twink," um, and that is the only male body that has been found was that of an Asian male. Um, who was wearing women's clothing? So it's just very specific um, kind of nugget there. Um, but yeah, just that was kind of the last thing I wanted to mention for the internet searches. I don't know what how that could be used, but
1: so Luke, I mean, presume state level death penalty in New York, but yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about. Dylan Roof here in South Carolina in his federal death penalty case as it related to hate crimes. Just think about, I mean, I I wouldn't say that he's immune from death notice in a different court, but I just don't know. I I I don't think any prosecution would be there yet, but depending on how
2: big this gets, what do you think? You're wondering about whether the feds would seek death? What would have to unravel
1: for this guy to be, for the feds to be interested in seeking
2: death? Uh, I mean, it would be a very political question, but it's not an obvious hate crime. I mean, Dylan Roof obviously was very racially biased and kind of fit that category. These are just certain prey to him that, targets of ease, maybe he does have a a deep seated and rooted hatred for women for some reason that's yet to be revealed, but I mean, you think about like the Boston bomber and that was a death case, but, um, I don't, I don't know. Nothing's jumping out at me right now that would make it the feds scooping here and pick okay. it up as a death case. Yeah, mean the Boston bomber,
1: that case got death as like an act of terrorism. Um, Hannah has a question about like the sheer volume of potential bodies they associate with Mr. Heuer. Hure. Rex. Rex. Rex.
0: Just could like the, the fact that it's, you know, potentially 30, 50 people, you know, could just the volume alone make him a candidate for that?
2: I mean, that kind of volume is usually a state-level aggravator that triggers death. But, I mean, here, to put on the table for the feds, I mean, it's usually more than just volume. I mean, it's things that invoke federal interests, you know, traveling across state lines, obvious hate crimes, things like that.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, he's been linked now to South Carolina and maybe another location, under state. What if they link him to a body in South
2: Carolina? Could they then, is that like a loophole that they could find to well, then South Carolina will do, do New York's work for them. But, uh, yeah, well that, that opens it up to a lot of stuff. It just depends on where the bodies are and where they were killed. Um, but if for some reason we're all linked to the kind of, the areas that they're talking about in, in Long Island, and I don't, I don't know. But <clears throat> a good question. All right,
1: well, let's talk about now that they
0: mm-hmm.
1: have charged him; they also are you know, all up in his business. All right, so he has a home in New York
0: with the they- Dexter room.
1: Talk about the well. You may want to talk more about that, um, but I'm looking at like some of the things that's being reported are already pulling out. You know, of course, the media is going to kind of look at some of the creepier items, but we're so we've got some things that are noted. Like you got 200 plus, you know, firearms, um, which you know a lot of people like their guns. Some people may think that's excessive. They're pulling. Uh, safes and file cabinets. Of course they're gonna do all electronics. But they're weird stuff. Like he's got a portrait of a woman with a bruised face, which is interesting. He's got a like a, a little doll in glass. He's got some interesting things that you know every, line is everyone's got weird stuff in their house. Like people have things in their attic that are inherited from family members that passed away, collected at yard sales. I mean, everyone's got something that
2: could seem a little Everybody bit- Everybody has skeletons in their
1: closet. Is that what you're trying to say, Brian? Yeah, but um, Hannah, you wanna talk a little bit about things that stood out in your mind from uh, the search warrant?
0: Sure, um, and I didn't dive super deep into this, so- Or Lou. Uh, yeah, Luke do you have any opinions
2: Oh, I was reading the bail document. I didn't really cover a search warrant. That was not my homework, but.
0: Well, I will say, say, (laughs) I think just the, the nature of the vault itself is alarming. I mean, it's a room that was locked off that, you know, no one really had access to from his basement. Um, and that's where he claimed to have all the guns. And I think most of this stuff was found. Also, just the state of the house is kind of alarming to me. It's very order-ish, yeah. Um, just like piles and piles of boxes, just kind of like little, just an area for you to kind of walk around, but everything's just piled up in the house, like, horrible condition. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure someone with a psychology degree uh, can speak more about the nature of that, but
1: a note to me is they're also digging up his yard. And yeah. Luke, and Luke yeah. And Luke and I have had cases. Well,
0: because he buried all the bodies at the beach, right?
1: Luke and I have had cases where they start digging in people's yards. That's not good.
0: Um, <laughs> Wait, tell, let's take Let's take a little detour here. Tell us about a time that someone dug up your client's yard. Oh, we had a
2: repeat client one time who uh, was never charged, but they were digging up his yard over a missing person and. We were on high alert, let's just say that. Yeah, they
1: had cadaver dogs out there. That is never good. That is never good. They're also digging up his back porch. Um, Mm. so it's not good for this guy. Um, and who knows what they'll find. I mean, they, they now got his DNA. They can link it to any missing person, unsolved body case in the greater state of New York.
0: Wait, I was listening to a podcast today that spoke about CODIS. So this is a pr- platform that you can submit DNA in and it like matches you yep. to other cases, but you have to be, um, like he has to be found guilty first?
1: No, Oops. no, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, it often it happens when you're a convicted felon, but oh. I mean, basically it's a law
2: enforcement dump of DNA. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll take that DNA from the pizza box and run wild in CODIS. Now what they get in court to compare for this particular case doesn't automatically get examined across the national spectrum, but uh, I see my kid sticking his tongue out at me, but, um, but certainly what they pulled from the trash, they're looking for hits.
1: So yeah, so that can, what that can do is if there's a hit, and that can allow law enforcement to do a number of things, you know, get search warrants, do more, you know, I mean basically it's, it's something that quite frankly often allows for new evidentiary gathering, uh, new potential charges based on probable cause. Um, so Luke, one thing I wanna talk about is the state is already seeking a, a, a swab of this DNA via a Schmurber hearing. And that's, Luke, just explain to our viewers, typically what, like, why do they need that? Why are they seeking his DNA if they've already got his DNA? Luke, you want to talk about that legal aspect? And then I'll talk to everybody about what his defense lawyer is saying.
0: And if you can deny that.
2: Yeah, I mean, they'll, they will get, they'll file a motion to have, to demonstrate probable cause to a judge, so they think he's involved in this case and if they can establish probable cause under the case called Schmerber and they're allowed to take a, a buckle swab which is very non-invasive and really is just like you see in TV a q-tip running against his cheek and they will then use that to test and the reason they do that is because it's clean it's pure a lot of times in cases you'll get a, a CODIS hit on your client because he left DNA on a scene but it's because he was forced to put his DNA in the system from some prior crime. And so you can't really for due process reasons, bring up as part of your current case, Oh, I got Larry's DNA from that rape he did back in 93. And therefore I want, you know, after I got that hit, we're just going to go use that for this rape. No, you can't do that. But to get the example, you can certainly say, Hey, we were surveilling Rex as a suspect, he was eating, he tossed a pizza box and we swabbed that right where he bit and lo and behold, statistically, we're comparing it to mitochondrial DNA off one of the victims, 99.9%, he can't be excluded, so judge, all we need is probable cause, we've established that, plus all of the cell phones, please give us court order a fresh sample of his DNA to run against for the purpose of this prosecution. So it helps protect his rights. It makes it very clean, and it's really a low standard. Um, so that's that's how that process goes. Based on everything I'm seeing in this case, it certainly will be granted. I think we've had a few cases, rarely, where it wasn't granted, or something was, you know, sought for comparison and is not granted. Um, but that's a very standard process in courtrooms all across America.
1: Yeah, and. You know, certainly a defendant could consent. However, is, that's not going to happen here. And, you know, a Schmerber hearing as well, as we talk about, like in the Cobra case, they really wanted that preliminary hearing that that got waived and never occurred. But in a Schmerber hearing, the lead investigator has to get up and talk about his probable cause or her probable cause for the, for the case. And I like to use them, even though I think I'm going to lose, as a great opportunity To cross-examine the lead investigator in court under oath, sworn and transcribe testimony. I mean, I did one recently that I knew I was going to lose, but I was able to really get the officer under oath on a lot of issues that really established that a co-defendant should have been charged, and he was forced to kind of answer in the affirmative. Yep. So basically, it helps me with a third-party book case. And guess what? Two months later, they had to charge that guy because here. they know that I will always have that tr- ready for a trial, that transcript on the initial sh- initial shmimmer hearing they wanted where he's admitting, yeah, we got this other guy who's he's really guilty looking. Um, and so that, you know, it's a great opportunity to, to examine witnesses. Well, let me tell you, Luke and Hannah, here's what his defense lawyer is saying. And we're gonna talk about this lawyer in a little bit, Michael Brown. So he is, he's been court appointed uh, at this point because it's a very, very serious case, and you know, this guy probably has resources to hire whomever he wants. Um, in a non-death penalty, or in a death penalty state, like let's say South Carolina, Luke, wouldn't it be very appropriate to appoint a very experienced lawyer that handles death penalty cases? That, that's the norm, because most private attorneys, you know, defending a death penalty case could take millions of dollars. And your average death penalty defendant doesn't have those kind of resources so it almost always gets appointed to the death penalty attorney in the area so here is appointed to a former prosecutor uh, who's in private practice and his website says he does everything from traffic tickets to murder cases personal injury
0: where he where he got that from
1: um but his you know he the state has filed for Hannah, your mom is texting you right now. Hey, mom. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and so as they will, he's responded in a filing that basically says, they don't have anything, and Luke, instead of attacking the DNA science, uh, you know, or whatever, he's doing something interesting. He's actually attacking the task force seizure of the pizza crust. He's trying, that, that got was a source of the DNA sample for comparison purposes. He's basically saying, you know, the fact that they're saying, you know, by the state's own admission or the people's own admission, that the nexus between the partially eaten pizza crust and this used napkins and the defendant, my defendant, is at best a matter of conjecture, an assumption and not fact. So, like, he's not challenging maybe the process or the statistical analysis or is it touch deep. He's just like, hey, this task force says they saw him grab that pizza crust and... And, and, and chew on it for a while and put it down and we grabbed it, and that's what, he's like, no, I don't think so. That's conjecture, mere conjecture. So that's, that's a little unique. Uh, but to,
2: how do you feel about that as a, a winning strategy? Uh, well, not very good. I mean, I'm not saying that there can't be mistakes made, but it maybe he doesn't wanna invest in an expert to challenge the scientific data, but maybe he wants to say, look, I know that he got that from Joey's calzones on 32nd street. And I know Joey and Joey's always nibbling on the pizza and then taking samples and sending it out. You can't say that Joey didn't bite on that. And Joey's not the long Island killer. So like, I don't know. I don't think it's a very good strategy, but maybe it's what he's working with. I don't know. (laughs) Right. So that's what he's saying. He's also
1: attacking uh, the physical description that we discussed so as a, a- He's baby, not an ogre, uh, ogre is green.
0: Uh, uh, right. Right. Uh, so, of uh, a man
1: around six foot four inches, largely built, with dark bushy hair and glasses. So his response to that is basically, no one's identifying my client. There's been no, he's basically saying there's been no six pack lineup identification, no show up ID. He's just saying. This is is not a true identification. Now I actually like this a little bit better. Mm -hmm. There's no actual ID, so from that pimp boyfriend, would be boyfriend shakedown guy, they haven't brought him in to presumably, it's just kind of a general physical description. So I find that more credible than attacking the pizza
2: pizza crust as you know, that wasn't my guy that was eating pizza. Yeah, at least at the heart of the shakedown guy is that he's essentially a criminal <laughs> who at uh, yeah. best is helping to, to steal from a would-be john and uh pretty, pretty, I mean, pretty has- morbid though you think about that particular victim uh amber can't remember her last name but you know then the guy, she got his money, he was run off, and then he texts and says, you know, I'll expect, like, a discount the next time. And she meets, like, the next day and gets in, gets in his avalanche. So you have to you have to wonder, if only she had decided he was a little too creepy, or maybe he won't be pleased about me taking his money the day before, she might be allowed to testify. So, um, so this kind of more, morbid, weird stuff going on.
1: Right. Typically this hearing, you know, it's an evidentiary hearing, things have to be put on the record, but there's some advanced filings. But I want to talk a little bit more about Michael Brown. Um, uh, I'm on his website.
0: What's the attorney for anyone.
1: Michael Brown. Uh, I know we already said it,
0: but
1: I mean, this could be the biggest mass murderer in U S history in terms of individual serial killings. And you know, there's rules of ethics, there's rules, you know, duty to your client, and typically good defense lawyers don't ever talk about a pending case, much less a case of this significance um, that maybe in some world could be a federal death penalty case, certainly could be multiple life sentences. So this guy, Brown, um, what is a problem in my mind is I'm on his website and he is posting articles about his client on his website. Um evidencing Gilgo killing case voluminous and a picture of him and his client. He's got articles about um if you go to his homepage even see how the mm. I mean everything's looking weird there in turn, but he's got yeah. articles linking
0: kinda of sloppy for those of you who uh, can't
1: see the screen. Like here's this one. Um it's a sp- Suspected Gilgo Beach Killer Rex Human gives off icy stare in court as prosecutors hand over massive amounts of evidence. So he's got that a, on his website. That's weird. And it kind of embraces a, a, a theme or a description of your client as giving an icy stare.
0: It's almost giving off like he he cares more maybe about being like a celebrity attorney. Than, yeah, he's
1: I like, don't know. He's, he, well, he's holding press conferences. He's linking all the articles, every video from a press conference where he's outside of the courthouse speaking, he's he's using it. So unlike the Coburger defense team who are, who are admirably representing their client as zealous advocates. Silently. This guy is really putting our, every article, every, every press conference he can do as an active pending case which is really a no-no. I mean, so like he keeps on putting these, his spin on the case and all these, even bad press, even like your client is giving out icy stares. So one day you're gonna be in trial and you're gonna be selecting a jury. And even though that that juror is instructed, don't research this case. You're gonna be looking up stuff. The juror's gonna look it up and they're gonna see the own defense lawyer is information on his own website. So I doubt this guy is going to be the attorney that long in this case. Luke, how are your feelings on this? What are your ethical
2: sense on this kind of behavior in terms of this early stage of a very, very serious case? I'm not a fan of it. I mean, it only hurts the client and it's free press for the lawyer. And that's not what it's about. Um, It's about zealously representing the client and so can agree with it. It's a pending case. Um, you know, you see a lot better kind of example of good lawyering going on in the Coburger case where they're talking is done in filings. Of course, they're all under a gag order. I don't know if there's a gag order in this case, but still to plaster it on your own website is bad luck. Um, so especially while it's all pending, <laughs> um, new baby fresh. I mean, this guy was
1: just arrested and denied bond. And his lawyers already got two or three news articles and two or three videos of himself on the website. And That's that's astounding to me. That's what we call bad lawyering. All right. Bad lawyering is most likely unethical representation. Um, And that's all I'm going to say about that.
0: Could he then come back? Like,
1: could Rex come back? I mean, years later and yes, yeah, he could. If he if he goes down on one, this is a problem. This is an ethical problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there are ABA rules of ethical conduct about you know publicly you know making um, assertions publicly about a pending defense that you're involved with. He's violating those. If his client finds out that he is putting, posting things on his website that maybe adopt a certain perspective, like
0: right.
1: icy stairs. Right. So that kind of characterizes a client as icy, mm-hmm. giving out
2: icy stairs. That's it's just terrible. terrible. It can it's get you perfect. in hot water with the court, too. If you guys remember from the Murdoch trial, I think uh, Jim Griffin got dressed down by Judge Newman in the middle of the trial for like liking somebody, some post that was like a New York Times article or a Washington Post article that was saying something about the evidence. And I think Jim Griffin just liked it on his Twitter and you know, and the prosecutors had reported it the next day and Newman dressed him down. So you really don't want to, when you're in a case like this, you have enough problems. You don't want to make more for yourself and your client. So it's good to keep yeah. your head down when, uh, all the bullets are whizzing by your head.
1: Mark my words, this guy is not going to be this guy's lawyer for the duration, not the way he's acting. Um, It's gonna come back and bite him, maybe ethically, certainly professionally. Um, It's also built in what we call PCR, post-conviction relief. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's allowing his client, if he he gets found guilty one day, to say, listen, my lawyer never gave me a shot. Look Look at these articles he was posting. He was ineffective. He was all about just becoming a Celebrity lawyer or not like zealously advocate on my behalf. So this is a problem right now um, Wow, all right
0: Yeah, we covered a lot and I don't think that this will be the last episode um, That we will cover this case with Just one little nugget to a little cliffhanger for you guys speaking of lawyers and pizza The lawyer for Shannon's family, so Shannon circling back to kind of that first victim that really put all this in the headlines, Um, her lawyer has been receiving like harassing phone calls, weird, um, yeah, weird phone calls, and at one time um, recently was called and a man and a woman. Are chatting on the phone and they are telling his family to you know I hope you enjoy your dinner which is very eerie making comments that they would somehow be connected to the Gilgo Beach killings just very weird behavior and then later they call them again and say we hope you enjoy your pizza and then like three seconds later their doorbell rings and Pizza delivery guy came that they ordered pizza for them, which is just super creepy wow. and scary. Yeah, that was yeah, weird. Very weird. So we'll um, maybe we'll dive deeper into that next time. Whoa. I mean, literally every single one of these topics that we touched on today, we could do an entire episode on. Absolutely. Um, so you guys will be hearing more from us um, regarding this case as it's developing, kind of all right before our eyes. If you all have any questions or comments about it, you can always find us on really any social media platform that you use to ask us any questions, send us any messages about it, anything that you guys find. Um, That was really helpful with the Stephen Smith case. We had a lot of like a lot of people sending in um, some good info that that we had missed. So, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you all next week. And this has been Bring the Jury. Bring the Jury.